Welcome to the Scholarship Chat Podcast. I am your host, Ashley Hill. Here we talk about the scholarship tips, tools, and strategies that you need to fund your dream career. Let's get started. So I'm so excited today. We have another expert in the house. Uh, I'm going to let her introduce uh, herself. We have Ms. Tara Jackson, also known as Madam Money. So welcome, Tara, to the podcast. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And, um, of course, people don't know, but we, we've known each other for a little while now. And um, I, I was telling you this shortly before we started, but I'm constantly watching you, you know, taking notes and getting my finances together because even though we work in the finance space, um, I believe that there's always somebody to learn from. So just thank you for over the years, you just sharing all of your great tips and resources and all that good stuff. Oh, my pleasure. And thank you for sharing um, information. I love sharing it with my uh, college students and high school students. So you've been a great resource to them as well. Oh, thank you. So, Terry, we're just going to get started. Well, let me say for everybody, we are talking about banking today, and Tara is not new to the uh, banking scene and so into finances in general, so she's going to share some amazing stuff with us today. But, Tara, why don't you start with just introducing yourself? And also, I've, I've been asking this question lately to the experts, is what made you get into finance? If you could share um, that I kind of... <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it was kind of by default in high school. You know, you need some extra money. And you mm-hmm. decided to get that part-time job. And I was a telemarketer for MBNA America many, many moons ago. Wow. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what pivoted me into the financial services industry because I just matriculated mm-hmm. through there. I, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be an obstetrician gynecologist. And oh. I had dreams of going to Clark Atlanta University because I went to Atlanta every year when I was a kid. And one of my cousins mm-hmm. went to Clark Atlanta, and I just had a ball. And mm-hmm. it was a shift. Uh, I didn't know it would be a life-changing shift, but it was a shift when I was in uh, probably high school, uh, late high school, and I was a telemarketer, and I sold credit cards that were 40% interest, uh, 40% annual percentage rate, I mean annual fee, and 18% percentage rate annual percentage rate, wow. and I was very I was very good at it, and I got mm-hmm. promoted several times, but that matriculated me into the credit side. That's where I learned a lot about credit and credit cards, and then ultimately, I ended up being the interim president and CEO of a credit union in Atlanta, Georgia, and wow. so uh, that just helped me to understand the, the game of the financial mm-hmm. services, and most consumers think that financial institutions are cheating, and we're not. We're not cheating. We're just playing by a different set of rules that most consumers mm-hmm. do not get to learn. So, mm-hmm. you know, banking industry is playing chess, and consumers are playing checkers, and it's because it's mm-hmm. not being taught in the schools. And so, that was my goal when I left the banking industry to um, be that person that taught consumers that financial services chess game so they can win the game. Yes. 
I love how you said that. You know, we're playing two different games here, and so there's no wonder why there's this kind of these misconceptions out here. And and hopefully um, today, while I know so, we're going to dispel some of these myths. Um, and so I want to start off with this question is, what are two things, just about just banking accounts and just that industry, what are some things, what are two things at least that most graduate students aren't aware of but they need to know? One, that all loans are not equal and, you know, most financial institutions, they try to sell credit because I was very good at selling credit and I was very good at selling debt. And so graduate students should be very careful with the types of loans that they apply for and why they are applying for the loans. Because Mm. if you're just getting a credit card and you say you're trying to build credit, but you're just getting a credit card to build a whole bunch of stuff, you're going to rack up a whole bunch of debt and not have the ability to pay it back. Um, Mm. Same thing with student loans. Most graduates, they think that, or, you know, college students think that student loans, when they get that refund check, they think it's a refund. No, it's a Mm -hmm. loan that has to be paid back. And if you don't send it back, that's more you're going to have to pay and more interest is going to accrue on that, you know, elevated balance. And so I, I really talk to students about being very careful about those types of loans, why you're getting the loans. Also, be very cognizant about your credit. And a lot of students don't understand what credit is, how it's, how right. it's developed. And I tell, I tell my students that credit is just your financial grade. Um, it's your grade book. So you have all these different assignments, which are your trade lines, and based on how you do with those assignments, it creates a grade. And your credit score is your financial grade. And if you have a really great grade, financial grade, you're going to, just like if you have a great grade in high school, scholarships mm-hmm. are going to come your way. And it's the mm-hmm. same with, it's the same with um, credit. If you have a great credit school, creditors want to give you a whole bunch of credit. And so just because you have a great credit score and just because you can get a lot of credit doesn't necessarily mean that you should. I love it. I love it. And I like how you put it in that academic sense where, and I think for a lot of people listening, that's going to make sense, you know, that your credit score is your grade. It's a look, it's a basically, yeah, it's your grade. It's a look back at what you've been doing. So I really love it. And the grade can change because if you have a grade line, say if you, you did an assignment, you failed that assignment, but then you did another assignment, and mm-hmm. or you redid the assignment and you got an A, it can boost your grade up. So it's the same thing. So the credit score is a living, breathing number, but it depends on our performance, on our credit, on how we pay our credit and how much we use our credit and how long our credit's been established. Right, and, and I, I love that piece. And for those that are listening, if your credit is not where it needs to be, first of all, you need to call and hire Tara, first of all. But after that, <laughs> you need to keep doing the right thing. That way you can change that grade. So we, that way it can be a more positive um, or better mm-hmm. score. The, the so, next thing I do want to oh, talk sorry, about ahead. before we go, mm-hmm. the next thing I want to talk about is are the fees. They're called behavioral fees. Behavioral fees at financial institutions are fees based on bad behavior. Right. So an NSF, a non-sufficient fund fee, is a behavioral fee. If you don't want the fee, you won't do the behavior. So fees are set up to sometimes penalize you for doing bad behavior. 
And if financial institutions don't want you to use other ATMs because it costs them money, they're going to pass that mm -hmm. fee on to you, and that's why you pay the convenience fee. So at mm -hmm. all possible, be very cognizant of the fees of your bank accounts so you can avoid that eating up your balances that you put in there. I love that. I love that. And you know what? I don't think a lot of, I'm just thinking back when I was in grad school and going to school, I wasn't thinking about those fees either. You know, our, well, you know, just minds weren't mature and minds on other things <laughs> at school and relationships and all that stuff. And, but you're so right. Um, if, if they don't take care, if somebody doesn't, uh, if they're not cognizant of that, then like you said, those fees can eat away at their balance. So Exactly. I'm so glad that you, I'm here taking notes too. I'm so glad that you touched on that. So now um, you've really, you know, covered covered that piece. Now what about just some mistakes and, and maybe your top three? What are some mistakes that you're seeing that graduate students are making when it comes to just managing their bank accounts or other products that they're getting from the bank? Um, one, with their checking accounts, they have overdrafts. Um, mm -hmm. I'm finding that because there's overdraft, they pretty much think that it's free money. It's not free money because if you overdraft your account, they charge you a fee, which is relative to an interest rate, which could be like 300 400%. So mm -hmm. you want to either not get overdraft on your account if you, over, you know, overdraw your account to avoid those fees, or to pay attention. There's so many apps right now. Even financial institutions have apps where if your balance gets a certain level, you can mm -hmm. turn on an alert. So you'll know that, hey, you don't have any money in your account or your money, you know, you have less than you mm -hmm. may think that's there. Because people don't balance checkbooks anymore. I don't even write checks, right? Bank but <laughs> I, do, I do have alerts on my bank account. So if there is a withdrawal that's a certain amount or if my balance gets a certain amount, they have the technology now where you can set those alerts. So at least mm -hmm. you are aware of what's going on with your account. Um, the other mistake that I find is that a lot of, not only students, but adults, they get these subscriptions or they get the trial and then they forget to cancel. So all of these subscriptions are coming out of their account and they don't pay attention. So that, you know, that $10 a month of a subscription that, you know, I, I used to use Hulu. Hulu. I don't use Hulu mm -hmm. anymore. I'm a, I'm a Netflix chick now, right? So right. I use, I had Hulu, I had Netflix and Hulu coming out. Well, I'm not watching Hulu. So if I didn't pay attention to my account, Hulu would still mm -hmm. be making money off of me and taking my money off of my account. So mm -hmm. I have to pay attention. So if you don't look at your account every week, you need to at least once a month look over all the transactions, make sure they're correct, make sure they're yours, and make sure it's something that you still want to come out of your account that you're still using. A lot of people have saved money because one of the tips that I give them during this um, error where we have limited funds coming in is to mm -hmm. stop all of your direct debits coming out of your account. And then you reinitiate initiate those that are necessary. So, mm -hmm. and it's just over time because those free trials, free 30-day trials, 15-day trials, and then we forget and the money comes out and we forget that the money is coming out and we wonder why we don't have any money. So that's one of the major mistakes that a lot of students have. The last mistake that most um, graduates have is they do not create a spending plan or they do not budget their money. So mm -hmm. creating a spending plan allows you to have control over your money and your money not have control over you. So your mm -hmm. bank account should never tell you what you can't do because you don't have any money. 
You tell your money where it's going to go by establishing a spending plan or a budget. You allocate money to where you want it to go and not the other way around. And most graduates, they just don't. They know they got paid, they're paying bills, but they don't necessarily know where all of their money's going because they're taking out a couple hundred dollars in cash and they're just spending it and there's no record of where everything's going. So in the event you need to make changes because of less income or something, emergency happens, if you know where your money's going, you can make changes immediately instead of mm-hmm. trying to panic when you don't have any money. Right. And now I want to insert that, yes, all of that, I agree 100%. Now, for those that are listening, so you, of course, well, they don't, in case you guys don't know that are listening, Tara's also an author. And so uh, your book talks about that. So can you just share maybe one little nugget uh, from your book and tell us also the title and where we can get that to? Um, one of my books is called Financial Fornication. Uh, I talk about this, some financial fornication and how we're financially promiscuous with our credit accounts. And we usually have all these financial one-night stands. And then we Mm -hmm. end up with financial STDs, substantially tremendous Mm -hmm. debt. And so one of the things that we want to practice to avoid getting those financial STDs is financial abstinence. So the financial abstinence is avoiding the use of credit when it's not necessary, avoiding Mm -hmm. using cash when it's not necessary. Um, And, you know, we have to put some money aside in the event that there's an emergency or an opportunity. You know, if if I I put some money aside and my girlfriends want to go out for spring break, you know, if I don't have any money and my parents won't give me any money, I'm going to have to have it somewhere. So if I have my stash Mm -hmm. for opportunities, you know, it's not just an emergency. It could also be an opportunity account as well. Right. And I and I love that. And can you tell us, Tara, where can we purchase financial fornication? It is on Amazon, or you can go to my website, madammoney.com, M-A-D-A-M-M-O-N-E-Y. And, again, it is on Amazon bestseller, so you can check it out there. Yes, cause I, and I encourage everyone, You once you listen to this, <laughs> the rest of the interview, to go and get that because, like, like Terry, you were just saying, it's not always just about an emergency or it's not always a negative connotation to this. But like you said, it could be for investing. Um, it could be for going out and having fun or you have your little fun money, you know, money mm-hmm. set aside every month. So you're right. It can really be for both. Now, in terms of, but I guess going back to the negative for a little bit, in terms of crisis, like, you know, right now we've, of course, got this pandemic going on. We've we've had previous um, pandemics going on um, with anthrax and just other things that have happened globally and talks of pending recession. You know, I'm hearing a lot of graduate students saying, I just want to go to the bank and take all my money out and keep it with me at home. But can you kind of shed some light on how, what's the best way to for graduate students to protect their money um, in their banking accounts? Well, their bank accounts are insured um, up to $250,000 per person, per social security number, right? So, Uh God forbid, if something happens to the financial institution, it gets robbed, it goes under, the federal Uh government insures. For banks, it's FDIC, um, and for credit unions, it's the NCUA, the National Credit Union Administration. So, they're both federally insured um, uh-huh. Company insure companies, and they insure financial institutions, whether a bank or a credit union, up to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So, if you have less than two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, your money is relatively safe at the financial institution. 
Now, you know, if, if there's some issues, especially with the pandemic that we're having, as far as access is concerned, usually they, they are bound by certain regulations that they cannot keep access from customers from a certain period of time in the event of an emergency. So a lot of financial institutions or most financial institutions have things in place to ensure people can get access to their cash. And especially during this time where people say it's a pending recession, it's pending because it has to, before they officially call it that, it has mm -hmm. to have two quarters of down economy. But technically, mm -hmm. we are already in a recession. By the time they call it a recession, we've been in mm -hmm. a recession. So mm -hmm. right now is the time to start saving as much money, putting some money aside. I would definitely, if you could, put money in different financial institutions. Um, uh -huh. One could be your savings account where you just put money in there to save so you don't touch it. Um, and another one could be a transactional account. And that way, if you can't get access to funds in one financial institution, you at least have another financial institution that you can use as a backup. But as that's far good. as taking all the money out and putting it under your mattress, that's more dangerous. <laughs> God forbid if anything were to happen or somebody steals your money, it's not insured and it's not protected. Right, right. And, I, you know, I really like that tip. I just wrote that one down um, about splitting it up because I know a lot of people, you know, they and probably just from seeing our parents and grandparents do it, you go to one bank and that we're just loyal, you know. But I like what you mm -hmm. said about split, splitting it up. That's good for security. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's also good for me because I'm a spender, right? So in my last well, book yeah. that I wrote, the last book I wrote was called The Four Financial Languages, I teach people their dominant financial language and then how to communicate in other financial languages. And the four financial languages are saving, spending, investing, and giving. So you should really know your dominant financial language because that tells you how you communicate about money or how you need mm -hmm. to be communicated about money. And I'm a spender. So the word budget, I, I, I kind of don't like that. I hear diet, die, deprivation, <laughs> I can't, all the bad stuff, right? So right. I need a spending plan versus, versus a budget. But my spending plan, I can't have all of my money in my account. I, if I have access to the cash, I'm going to spend it. So that's mm -hmm. why I have a separate financial institution where it's my savings account so that I don't have easy access to it. I can't just transfer money automatically. So having a savings account at the same financial institution is not going to work because I'll just transfer the cash. So I have to put it in a separate financial institution so that I don't have easy access to it, but I can get access to it if I necessarily need it. So you really need right. to know what your financial language is so you'll know how you can better manage your money as well. Right. So, guys, now you have two reading assignments now, okay? You need to get Tara's second book. Um, as well. And Tara, I like that you're being so transparent just then saying that you're a spinner because I know some people think, oh, financial experts, they're just perfect, you know, with their money and they don't have, they don't have feelings like that. But yes, we do like to spend. But like you said, is you have to set up things, you know, that way you can manage it the right way. So Yeah. And being I'm a spender is not a bad thing. Yeah. Being a spender is no. not a bad thing. And that's what I tell people all the time is that being a spender is not bad. Saver is not better than a spender, not better than an investor, not better than a giver. We're just different right. in how we communicate about money. And we have certain limitations. Like I know some savers who are um, narcissistic savers and they're mm -hmm. also scared savers um, or mm -hmm. hoarding savers. And that's not good. What no. makes, you know, anything bad is excess. So if you are an excess hoarding saver, that's bad. Mm -hmm. If you are an overspender, 
that's bad. If you invest mm-hmm. all your money and lose it, that's bad. And if you give all your money away, that's bad. But being a saver, yeah. spender, investor, or giver doesn't make you bad. It, you know, it just is what it is. It's like me speaking English and you speaking Spanish. One language is mm-hmm. not better than the other. Right. And I, I like how you phrase that. It's anything that's in excess, whether it's leaning towards one way or the other. So that that's yeah, pretty like good. Yeah, like me eating out every day is really bad. Mm-hmm. It's bad for my waistline <laughs> and my budget. So yeah. I'm, you know, I have to learn the language of shopping and cooking. Yes. You know, I've so learned everybody's that. learning on Yeah, yeah, everybody's learning that new language right now. Oh, yes. Yes, we are. So when is the time, like, for graduate students, like, let's say they've got, you know, their basic, you know, uh, checking and uh, savings account. But when is the time for them to consider other banking products and services like CDs or credit cards or loans? Um, CDs are any time. If you have whatever minimum balance is required for a CD, I recommend that you start with a CD. And that's a time deposit you're getting more interest or the financial institution is paying you more for holding your money. So the, the time CDs just allows the financial institutions to use that money to lend out to other um, banking uh, customers, right? Mm-hmm. So the longer you hold the money or the longer you keep it there, the longer the financial institutions can use it, and the longer the more money they'll pay you as far as interest is concerned. But I always encourage students, you know, I don't care if you're six or you're 16 or 26, to start off with a CD. If you, you can start off with a CD as low as $500 or $1,000. So if you save up to that amount, just, don't just hold it in the savings account, especially if you don't need it right away, because you're not going to mm-hmm. earn any interest. So put it in a CD, even if it's a six-month CD or 12-month CD, and just let it automatically renew so you can get that extra interest. And so that's going to help you to learn how to save. And then when, it, when it's um, ready for renewal, if you want to, you can put that money into a brokerage account and start investing. And so that just leads you to the next investment options. As far as credit cards, you have to be at least 18 of legal age to sign a contract. So I would recommend students to start off with a secured credit card. So you say you have that CD or you have that savings up to $500. Mm-hmm you can get a credit card that uses that money in your savings or CD as collateral. That just means mm-hmm. if you should not pay the credit card, they have the money they, th- they can use to pay it off. And so mm-hmm. that will help you to build up your credit as well. A loan, I don't think that you should get a loan until you have the ability to pay it. So say you have a part-time job, you're 18 years old, you want to start building credit, you can get, um, sometimes they have a first-time borrower's loan or beginner's loan. Maybe it's $1,000 or $500. Minimum payment could be 30 up to $60 a month. You can afford that. That's going to teach you how to start making payments on a regular basis and to give you, um, uh, j- just make you aware of the obligation of paying on time to help you build credit. So it's the same thing like with financial fornication. A lot of people don't want to say it, but, you know, credit is like sex. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And if you do, use protection, which is a budget, right? And Mm -hmm. so you have to be responsible and you have to be consistent within that. And if you don't, if you can't be responsible and consistent with making payments, then you may not be mature enough 
financially or mentally to start doing loans. But first, mm -hmm. start off with the CD. The CD, if you can start putting money regularly into your savings account so that you can get a CD, then you continue doing those payments to maybe a secured credit card. Then you continue mm -hmm. to do those payments for a loan, and that's going to get you in the habit of making good payments because that's 35% of your credit score. It's how you pay your pay your, pay your loans and credit. Wow. And I, I love it. So, guys, that's some great advice. We need to get CDs first, okay? And also, too, you know what? I'm, I'm so glad you touched on being responsible. Uh, it's because it's, it's so important. We can't just have reckless, any kind of behavior, right, especially financial, <laughs> have reckless behavior and expect a good result to come out of that. So Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just like with any, you can't be reckless in going to a job because you'll get fired. Right. Right? You can't be reckless right. in a relationship because they'll – They'll beat you up, y'all. At least I will. No, I'm just kidding. Um, or, or they'll break up with you. You know what I mean? So there, right. we have to start being responsible in that. You know, unfortunately, I would love to be a kid again, but, you know, this adulting thing is really serious. So it requires us yes, to be a little is. bit responsible. And if I was 16 and if I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't have been in such a hurry to grow up. But, I'm with you know, the older we are, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of college students, they're ready to become adults. And if that's the case, yeah. then they need to start acting responsible now. So when they become adults, it, uh, you know, adult, adult, when I mean you have bills, mortgages, car notes, and all that, you already right. are in that pattern. So it's not going to be hard for you. So start, you know, learning the be adulting behaviors now. Practice them now while you have backup, you have parents, you know, anything that's, you know, support that's there. So when you're on mm -hmm. your own, you've already been doing it. It's cool. It's just like riding a bike. If you know how to ride a bike, you probably know you'll figure out how to drive a car. Right. It's progression. Yes, I love it. It's it's progression, and it's just it's it's adopting those healthy habits and just continuing to make to make good decisions. So on to yes, so kind of back to the banking. So of course, um, I mean, it's technology is here. It's been here, and we all have to embrace it. Um, to some extent, but what are some kind of on the banking side, what are some features that you think graduate students should be taking advantage of digitally with keeping up with their bank accounts? Well, you definitely want to connect with their home banking features, online um, banking. Uh, most financial institutions have apps now, so definitely get their apps. That way you can look at your balances, you can do transfers within accounts, you can, in some financial institutions, allow you to transfer money to another financial institution. You can set up your direct deposit. You can uh, set up direct debits, bill payment, um, all of that, you know, set alerts for your accounts. So leverage the technology within the financial institution as far as their home banking features or their online banking features. And a lot of financial institutions, especially right now, is really encouraging they, they are really encouraging consumers to leverage their their virtual services. Most have been mm -hmm. doing it all along, and most people were just, you know, I don't want to do anything online. But a lot of people now, because of the quarantine, they have to do it. And if you're listening to this after the quarantine, there's a lot of people that started it, and now they realize how easy and simple it is. Some financial institutions yes. allow you to make mobile deposits. So you can mm -hmm. take a picture of the front and back of the check, and it's deposited into your account. And that's mm -hmm. great for me because if I didn't, you know, work or was affiliated with financial institutions, I wouldn't want to go to a branch. 
I, I just don't want to go to a financial institution. So the fact that I can take make a copy of a check, the front and back of a check, if people send checks anymore, and mm-hmm. make that deposit, that keeps me from having to go stand in line, make a deposit, and all of that. So those are some great features. Even, you know, financial institutions that offer investment services, they have brokerage accounts. You can open that up. And if your financial institution doesn't have uh, an investment portion, you have other apps like Acorns. You have um, Stockpile, Robinhood. You have different apps out there that can help you with starting the investment for as low as $5. So you can get in the habit of starting to invest and learn about the investment feature because I think every student should start investing as soon as possible. That way, yeah. when they get as an adult, it won't be so intimidating and scary um, for them. A lot of adults don't want to invest because they were never taught when they were students. Mm-hmm. So this is a great time for them to learn how to do it and then really leverage it and make a lot of money later on down the line. I agree. And so speaking of that, if you are listening and those that are listening um, and you're listening to Tara and you're like, this is really cool, but I'm not sure because I didn't have anyone to teach me because, you know, Tara, you did mention earlier, they don't teach this in school. I don't remember taking this in high school or, you know, elementary or even undergrad for that matter. Um, They didn't readily offer these classes. So for someone that's wanting to work with you, um, we've mentioned the books already, but they want to work with you maybe in a coaching situation or consulting, um, if you can just kind of share the services that you offer and also how can they get in contact with you? Absolutely. I do do financial coaching. I do group financial coaching and individual financial coaching, and they can find me at madamoney.com. What I also do is I go to schools, and I have a Young Money series, and I teach them in four categories. I think I teach them one, it's called CREAM, Credit Rules Everything Around Me. So I teach you everything soup to nuts about credit, and we play a game called Loan Sharks after Shark Tank. There is another one called um, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire that teaches savings versus investing. Another one wow. is You're Hired after you're fired, but you're hired that teaches salary negotiation. And then the last one is Save Me Sally Mae which teaches about student loans and the different options of student loans. So if you would like to refer me to your school, whether it's high school or college or graduate school, you can also go to madamoney.com, N-A-D-A-M-M-O-N-E-Y.com. Oh, yeah, you can, follow me on, you can follow me on all social media at Ms. Madam Money, M-S Madam Money. And that's Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube. Perfect. And I was just going to mention that is that we will make sure, I'll make sure that for those that are listening and those that listen after this, um, that all of Tara's information is going to be right there. So you can literally just click and go to her website and get the books and get educated um, because we want to definitely take this time um, and moving forward to just make good decisions, good financial decisions and just be positioned better. So Tara, with that being said, I'm going to let you have the last words, any lasting um, advice? For anyone that's listening, uh, I just want to thank you for having this platform and for sharing the information to graduates and for college students. This is absolutely phenomenal. I'm so excited for the futures of the listeners, and that if the sooner you do it, the easier it's going to be. So a lot of your, you know, your parents or your friends or adults that you may know may find managing money as intimidating and scary. It's actually fun. 
if you figure out how you can make more money and you can do what you want with money, it makes it more fun. What's not fun about it is when you don't know and then you do bad things and then you have to pay for it. So having fun now early by learning as much as possible is what's going to make life and money really, really fun for you. Absolutely. <laughs> I want to thank you for tuning in to today's podcast episode. To learn more about how you can use your talents and achievements to find and win scholarships in less time, visit my website, which is www.collegeprepready.com. Also, follow me on Facebook at Prep the Number Four College. That's Prep the Number Four College. Now, take care, and I look forward to bringing you more scholarship search tools, tips, and strategies in our next podcast episode. Goodbye.